Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Yeah. And I, I love that story. And uh, I was talking to Jocelyn and her mother last night. And uh, what I love about it is just the whole arc of it, of just how God used Rego and what he does. And we love FCA. FCA is one of those partner ministries, what they do in the schools. And they can do things we can't do as a church. And so that's why we partner together. And then to watch someone like Jocelyn who comes to Christ, but she doesn't stop there now. God's using her. She starts FCA. She attends here. She serves in our children's ministry. I mean, just the whole progression of what God does through that. That's what we want to celebrate through this whole time. We, we want to look at real stories, real lives, people that are changed by it, and, and look at how we can be a part of it. You know, if you look at the theme this year, it's neighborhoods to nations. And I think that progression is exactly how Jesus laid it out. In fact, today I want us to focus on both what Jesus commanded all of us as his church, and then specifically focus how does that impact where we live and how we do our lives. And so if you look in your notes, you can see kind of three big passages that I think summarize Jesus' commands to his church. And they bookend his ministry. One, he says at the beginning of his ministry here on the planet when he uh, did a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's, he's on a hillside, and in it, it's the largest sermon we have of Jesus. And in this sermon, he, he describes his kingdom and, and the people in his kingdom, and it's so different than what they expected. He, he talks about how they thought you were right with God, and he goes, oh, I'm doing something so much more radical. And right in that, he looks at his followers and he describes them in this way. And he's not just describing them, he's describing us as well. A familiar passage. He looks at them and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He describes them and us. He says, you're the salt. Salt was very valuable at that time. It wasn't just a seasoning. You got to remember, this is before the days of refrigeration. And so as a preservative, it was so valuable. Uh, they didn't often have pure salt. They get a form that they thought was salt. And sometimes the actual NACL, the salt would evaporate out with it. And they were left with kind of a white substance that was useless. And, and they literally would throw it into the streets because you didn't want to put it on the ground. It would kill the vegetation. And so they put it in the streets and people would walk down the street and you'd see this white substance there. So that's what he's describing. He says, you guys are so valuable. You are salt. But if you lose that saltiness, if you lose what you're here for, it, it's literally worthless enough. It's just in the street. He continues on. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Again, this is before the days of electricity. And so it got very dark. Light, especially light from a city, 
was something that would be very evident, very seen. And and he makes it explicit, by the way. When he's talking about the light, he says, what they're going to see in your life is actual good works. Your faith is accompanied with good works. They can see in a tangible way what you're doing so that ultimately glory goes to God. He describes us as salt. He describes us as light. Look at the end of his ministry in Matthew 28. We've been looking at this passage a bit the last several weeks, but just Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is post-resurrection. So he says, now I have proven who I am. I have authority over death. I have authority over sin. All authority is given to me. In light of that, here's what you do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And we've been talking about making disciples means you help people take their next step in Christ. Uh, We've not emphasized this as much, but this go here is actually in the Greek, it's a participle, it's going. And what it assumes here is in your going, make disciples. It's not a go to one place and make a disciple. What he's saying is, I'm assuming you're going every day. And so as you go, as you live, as you work, as you do your activity, this is what you're to be doing during that time. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them, teaching them. And and lest we think it ended with them, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is a marker for us to show this activity continues, this command continues until the very end of the age, until he comes back again. One last verse, Acts 1.8. Right at the same time, he, he looks at his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The power we receive is not inherent in us. It's from the Holy Spirit. And so for his disciples there, this is before Pentecost. This is before the Holy Spirit has come. And so he says, you're not ready yet. He actually told them, stay there in Jerusalem. They stayed, they prayed. The Holy Spirit comes, descends on them. Now for us, we don't have to wait for that moment. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And that's the power we have. He he says, when he's come, you will be my witnesses. Not I hope you are, not you should be. He just says, you will be. You're witnessing one way or another. And and it always starts where you are, in Jerusalem, then it spreads to Judea, same region, then it crosses boundaries, ethnic boundaries, social boundaries, Samaria, ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now, if we take all three of these passages and we just look at what was Jesus' command to us, because these are as valid for us as that first audience. Let me walk you through what this means for us. And you see it in your notes there, just seven things. First, we need to recognize it is a supernatural movement of God in people's lives. So pray. We do not have the power in ourselves. And and hear this, because sometimes when we're in a series like this, we get excited and motivated. It's good to stop and realize we don't have the power to change one person's life. I don't even have the power to change my life. I needed God to intervene on that. And so it's good to step back and go, no one's going to be changed through my power. They are changed, though, through the power of a God who loves this world, and he loves to use us to change people's lives. And so the the first and fundamental thing that all of us should recognize, this is a supernatural movement of God. We need his power. And so to experience his power, pray. 
Guys, we're, we're like solar cells. You see all the solar cells on houses? It's amazing the power they can store up and the power they can give, but they don't have any power in of themselves. And so they have to be out in the sun in order to receive the power and give it. In the same way, especially as we're thinking initially and moving out, to make any impact, we have to be in the sun. You know how you put yourself in the sun? You pray. You experience the power of God. That's why we're asking all of our small groups during this time. This is the curriculum they're using. Pastor Eddie's book, Praying for Your Missionary. It's a great book to know how to, how do I pray with intentionality? How do I pray with insight for those who are out there serving around the world? Because God's called them to special sacrifice and things that we need to be aware of. And so I'd encourage you, even if you're not in a small group, you can pick up one of the books. There's a table there, a great deal on it. It's just a good book to read through and go, okay, I want to pray with more intentionality. Here's what I'd encourage you as well. While you're praying for the missionaries out there, pray for yourself. You say, well, why do you say that? Because of point number two. Point number two, all of us are in the starting lineup. So lose the four and oughta. Here's what I mean in that. When Jesus said that command to go make disciples, he wasn't just talking about the professionals out there and the people that go do that. A lot of times we picture ourselves, and even in a series like this, we can be really excited about what God's doing around the world. But we almost picture ourselves like the people in the stadium and we're cheering for the people on the field and man, they're out there playing the game. And we are all for what they're doing and we're cheering for them. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus looked at all of us and he said, no, 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 you're the salt. You're the light. You are my witnesses. You're in the starting lineup. You're not just on the team, you're starting. You made the cut. And so some of you can stop right now. You've tried out for things your whole life and never made the team. Jesus has you on the team. Just celebrate that for a moment. Rest in that. Yeah, isn't that good to know? <laughs> now he actually expects you to play. You're, you're in the game. And, and, and part of it is a mentality and I said that line, lose the for and the auto. Here, here's what I mean. In our good intentions, we are for so many things. There's probably not a person in this room that you go, oh, I'm against reaching the world. I mean, we say it all the time. Man, I am for reaching people for Christ. I am for people taking their next steps. Why don't you just do this, pull the for out of that sentence. I am reaching people for Christ. I am helping people take their next steps. The other one is oughta. You ever say that where you see a need in the world or you see a need in our community and we get fired up at times and, and, and we immediately, somebody ought to do something about that. Or if you're in the church, here's our favorite one. Man, the church ought to do something about that. Church ought to be on that. Just take the oughta out and then remind yourself this, you're the church. So if, if you feel fired up about it, you know what's going on? God's placed it in your heart. And he doesn't want you just to be for it or to be an auto. It's an actuality. And, and guys, hear me. I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying it to me as well because it is easy for us because we are for things and, and, and we, we feel things. And because we feel it so deeply and we have these ideals, after a while we can start convincing ourselves our ideals are reality when really all they are are ideals and good intentions. There's a place to just stop 
and go, wait a second, I'm in the game. It's not just professionals out there. It's not just special people. It's all of us that God's called to it. Here's the third part in that. Our focus should be outward toward the areas of need. And this is so important for us as a church. We talk about this, we pray about this as an elder team, as a leadership team, because it's easy as a church with all the activity and all that we do here that you can find yourself drifting inward, that all of our energy and everything is for us and what we do here. Now, I don't want to diminish what we do here. I think it's very important. I think it's part of that making disciples, helping people take their next step. But if we focus all of our energy toward the people who already know, I think we're missing what Jesus called us to be. Think about the images, salt. You don't put salt on salt. No, no one has ever tasted some salt and said, you know what this salt needs? It needs a little more salt. You, you don't use light where it's lit. If you go on a hike this afternoon, none of you will take flashlights. If you went on a daytime hike and someone pulled out their flashlight, now follow me. You'd look at them, you're kind of like, dude, what are you doing? In the same way though, if as followers of Jesus, all of our energy, all of our effort is always just here. It's always for us. If we're not consciously thinking outwardly, if we're not orienting our church for the people who are not here, and that we care as much about the person who's not here as just being people here, we can, without even thinking about it, create a salt on salt, light on light kind of church. And not only that, we start looking at the culture out there and we go, ah, oh, look at that bad culture. It's decaying. It's dark. Well, of course it is. What fights both those things? You don't condemn meat for not being salty, do you? If you ever taste a piece of meat and go, oh, this is a horrible cut of meat. It's not salty. No, you immediately go, oh, this meat needs some salt. You don't walk into a house and go, what is wrong with this house? It gets dark every night. <laughs> you, you go, oh, where's the light? See, in the same way, God, God has placed a culture around us. And instead of condemning for what's going wrong, he says, no, you're my answer. I want to use you to be the salt, to be the light in that. To do that, number four, our influence on the culture should be pervasive and valuable. Those images of salt and light, they're pervasive. They move to every area. They're not just combined to certain compartments. In fact, Jesus said, actually, don't do that. Don't hide it under anything. Don't just say, well, the light goes here, but oh, we can't really do anything about that. He said, no, I've given you light. It should shine in every area of culture. We as believers should be going, how do we permeate? How do we move? How do we live in every segment of society? How do we use our gifts in business? How do we use it in culture? How do we shape entertainment? How do we think about law? How do we think about what's happening in academia and the sciences? How do we move into any arena of life? Because we're the salt and the light. And that's what God's called us to do. And as we do that, we bring a value there whether the culture appreciates it or not. 
Whether the culture sees that, I'm not blind to the fact there's spiritual warfare. I'm not blind to the fact that Jesus even said the world will persecute you in that. But he doesn't use that as an excuse to pull away. He says, oh no, that that means you move into it that much more. Because I've placed the power within you. If you look at the early church, this is how they accomplished this, by the way. They started out as a persecuted, misunderstood group of people. People thought they were the strangest thing out there. But as they moved into culture, I was reading this last week from a, a second century letter, letter of Diognetes, and it's an early century writer, and he's talking about the Christians of that time. And he said, they're strange folks. Even though they're residents all throughout the community, they, they live like they're citizens of somewhere else. Even though they get persecuted, they love in return. Even though they don't have much, they share what they have. Even though people talk bad about them, they don't respond the same way. And as they did that throughout all of culture, this little persecuted band actually changed the world. It's never changed, guys. It's what God calls us to today. All of us in every area. To do that, number five, our activities should be marked by tangible acts of love. Tangible acts of love. He says that they may see your good works. This isn't just something that we talk about it. We're doing things that they see and they would value. Why? Because all of humanity values when they see that kind of work. They just do. It's hard to argue with people that live their lives that way. It was interesting. There was a a marketing team, a guy named Lux Narana led his team and they studied the obituaries of 2,000 obituaries over several years in the New York Times. And here's what they wanted to do. They, they were looking, what are the words that are used the most in these obituaries? And these were obituaries, by the way, weren't written by professionals. It was just what people wrote about their loved ones. The number one word, bar none, I mean, it was the highest used word in all the obituaries. The team was surprised. You know what the number one word was? Help. As they described someone's life and they wanted to summarize it in a way that they go, man, this is what made this person great. It would show up in these ways. Well, he helped with veterans. She helped launch civil rights movement. Oh, she helped with the local boys club. He helped over and over again. When they wanted to summarize the value of a person's life, they go, it was the ways in which they helped others. Now, is it any wonder then when Jesus said, when you're the light of the world, the way they're going to notice and actually then point to God is when they see you tangibly helping others in real ways, moving out into the community, because it's humanity we value that. Now, lest you think, well, are you just talking about it's all good works? No. Jesus' brother really laid it out for us really well. He he caught it. I mean, being the brother of Jesus, he led the church in Jerusalem. He said, you have to have both, faith and works. They go hand in hand. And, And for us, one of the greatest ways we help, number six, is every day we're to help people take their next step with Jesus. Remember that? That's what making disciples means. And so we believe everybody out there Everybody that you come in contact with every day in your going has a next step with Jesus. 
Now, if you personally have never taken a step with Jesus, maybe you're here today and you're visiting and you go, I don't have that kind of relationship. You just need to know we believe everyone's life is better with Jesus. The more you walk with him, you know him, and then actually have a personal relationship with him, just like you heard from Jocelyn's story, it literally changes your life. And and so our goal as a church is we want to look at everybody across the spectrum and go, how do I help them take their next step? How do I help those who maybe I work with, neighbors, that are totally uninterested in Jesus? Man, they may even be antagonistic. How would I help them become interested? Maybe you have someone right now and and their perception of Christians is negative. Your goal is, okay, how do I disrupt that? How do I get them to change the way they view Jesus ultimately? How do I love them in that? How do I work with them? And maybe their perception is that Christians are just pushy people that are going to push their beliefs down your throat. And so you need to go down and get in their face and tell them why they need to follow Jesus. No, no. All you're going to do is reinforce their perception, aren't you? No, we have to be strategic and go, okay, God, how do I love this person where they are? Because by the way, that's how God met me. Maybe you get to know somebody and you go, man, they're interested in spiritual things. And they, they've got a pretty spelled out belief system. It might be just taking the time to listen to them and hear them. And hopefully as you connect with someone, they're taking that step from just being interested that they are a believer. And, and you might find as you get to know people, there's a lot more of believers out there, but they've been far from God for a while or far from church. And it's always interesting to me how many, when I interact with them, either they've made some mistakes in life or just because they've been so distant from God, they feel so guilty. And and one of the most freeing things that you can do is actually bring some grace and let them know God's not mad at you. Maybe you've been the worst of prodigals. Let me tell you the story again. He's the father who runs and throws his arms around you. And to help them take a step from from being that believer who's struggling to, man, I actually want to follow. And, and, And you might find out someone in your world, they're actually a follower, and you go, you're a follower too? Man, awesome. You're surprised by it. So together now you've got a partner as you're trying to reach your area. Or you find out every so often they're actually a discipler. And the only reason they were meeting with you is they thought you were down here. (laughs) You go, oh, cool. See, I think we have this fear. When when we hear this, there's this fear that somehow I've got to walk out today and run into people who are totally uninterested. And in one conversation, I got to answer all their objections. I got to be able to share it clearly. I got to get them from here to here in one step. And it just doesn't happen like that. It just doesn't. So so we start with where they are and we love them where they are. And we spend time so that worst case scenario, let's say they never move. You know what? At least they've got a friend who loves Christ. At least you've connected with them there. You're a better neighbor, a better coworker. See, Jesus just says, in all of your going, 
This is what you help people do. And then number seven, it always starts here and extends to the world. It always starts right where we live and extends outward. And and so when he said, Jerusalem, that's your backyard, my backyard. It always starts in the neighborhood. And, And so to do that, I want us to turn our attention. What would it mean to starting here in the Bay? If we were going to actually go, man, this is one of our key regions. How do we focus here with this? One, we must understand both the demographics and the opportunities here. Very unique opportunities, very unique demographics in the Bay Area. Let me just walk you through some of those pretty quickly with it, but just give you a snapshot of it. Look at the size of what we're talking about. There's 7.6 million residents in the nine-county San Francisco Bay Area. Of that, if you just took the four counties closer to us, they're 5.4 million. And then within Santa Clara, it's the largest one of them all. It's 1.9 million residents. I mean, you're talking about a big area in our metroplex, in, in the city that's here. And, and that's not surprising in one way. That's growing. It's growing worldwide, by the way. 50% of people now live in cities around the world. In the next 20 years, that number will go up to 68% of all people on the planet will live in cities. We're moving to cities. So learning to penetrate a city, learning to penetrate an area like that is key to missions around the world. Now, look at our area in particular, though. Jesus said, reach all the world. Look at the diversity. The most ethnically diverse large cities in America. There's a few smaller cities, Jersey City and some others with it. But these are the large cities that are most ethnically diverse, and, and it's minimal differences between them. Uh, some a little bit more people groups, some linguistically. But, but you look at it, it's New York and San Francisco Bay Area. Of the diversity of our area, look at the demographics of it. 39% of the residents here are born outside the U.S. That's not counting the residents they have born in their household. 39% of our residents, and that number grows every year. You break down our area, 61% Asian, and that's such a broad category You start looking at it, I mean, huge group of that, Chinese, Indian, Korean, and we experience that in our church, but huge demographic, 23% Hispanic, 13% non-Hispanic white. Here was probably the most telling stat for me. Look at this, 52% of residents over the age of five speak a language other than English at home. The more than half of our neighbors and friends, when they go home, their home language is not English. God's bringing the world here. I mean, all around us. And, and as we do that, then look at the influence that we have here. Look at some of the companies here. We are home to Google, Apple, Facebook, eBay, Netflix, EA Sports, Cisco, Adobe, HP. Now, okay, even as I read this list, there's somebody sitting out there. You work in a very significant company in the Bay Area, and I didn't list your company. (laughs) I'm not. I'm just taking a snapshot. If you just took this list, hear me. Other than some people who've chosen to completely live off the grid, they're on reality shows like on Discovery late at night. But other than those few, literally Every single person in our country either interacts with or is impacted by one of these companies every day. I mean, think of the influence that what happens here 
shapes our country, shapes the world. Look at the economy here. I was reading an article in The Guardian, a European paper, and they were just blown away that if you just treated the Bay Area as a country, they said 128,308 per capita in annual gross domestic product, the GDP. If you treat it as a country, the GDP here, he says residents in California's tech belt outproduce almost every nation on the planet. The innovation here, Forbes magazine named San Jose the most innovative city in America. There's a reason that when the, the federal government decided they had to open another patent office, they've had one in D.C. for years. They said another patent office in the United States, where'd they place it? They placed it in San Jose because of the innovation. Now, this little section of influence here, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us that live here, you know, we kind of read through that and we, we, we look at each other and we go, yeah, we're kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. We, we kind of like that, don't we? I, here, here's the reality. I, I don't know if we're a big deal, but I think we have a big opportunity. That if what happens here shapes the planet? What if Jesus happened here? Literally, what, what, what if Jesus and people coming to Jesus and their life shaped by Jesus happened here? Now, the problem is, though, if you look spiritually, what's going on here? Lifeway just did a thing of the whole country. Most unchurched cities in America, we're number one. Not a good one to be number one on. Unless you look at that and you go, yeah, but that's just a lot of people that have moved here that weren't ever a part of church. They then said, what are the most de-churched cities in America where people left the church? We're number one. Look at the belief system in it. This one's telling if you think about it. 42% of adults say they believe in God with absolute certainty. This is in the Bay Area. So of, of that... 60% of those around us who are, are at best agnostic or atheistic. This group doesn't mean that they're Christians. This is just 40% would say, yeah, there is a God. That number's going down, and the younger you get, it goes down dramatically. Spiritually, there's a crying need here. Now, now hear me, if you took all those things and you put them all together, it makes me look at it and say, if the Bay Area was actually a country, a separate country in the world, then churches all over America and I think around the world would be raising up missionaries to come here because of the need, because of the opportunity. So we, number two then, we've got to look at it We've got to think missionally as we would any other region of the world. We've got to think about this area just like we would missionally out there. And so as you think about any other region, you know, Lee and I, early in our marriage, we, we had the opportunity to live in Bangkok for a couple of years and did work there and watched how God was shaping and moving and working with other missionaries and working through what we were doing. And so when you think about any other region, when I look at our regions, I look at what God's doing, what would we want to see happen in any other place on the planet? Well, let me give you the list of it. We'd want to plant a church as a base. There's a reason why Paul went around the world and planted churches. Churches shaped the world in it. 
But with that, you'd also want to launch ministries to meet real needs. If you look at what we're doing in regions, there's hospitals, there's schools, there's compassion ministries, there's uh, ministries that help in all different tangible ways. So you'd always want to launch that as well. Third, you want to populate neighborhoods and schools. You don't see people coming to Christ. They're actually living in the community. They're in the schools. They're, they're out there. You, you don't want to go create a mission compound anywhere. You'd always want to go, no, no, it's to permeate all of the society there. Fourth, you businesses and jobs for sustainability and influence. Huge movement across the planet. I've seen it personally. I have friends that are involved with it. Business is mission. How do you go in and when you're penetrating the culture, one of the best ways that you raise the tide for all of it is how do you use business to leverage that? How do you create sustainability out of that? How do you create influence? Then ultimately, what, what you want to see is build on the growth to create a movement through the area. Not just a ministry, but a movement that happens. See, we want that in any region of the world. Now let's come back to our region. Let's come back to the Bay. If we're going to reach the Bay missionally, what do we need to do? Well, first, we need to plant a church as a base. If we only had a church here. Oh, wait a second. I know this one that has... 3,000, 3,500 people on campus every weekend. Oh man, what if we used this church? Well, well then we'd want to launch ministries to reach real needs. Oh, awesome, we have it. We have FCA and we have Young Life and we have real options. We have City Team and we have so many others that we go, how do we partner with them? Because by the way, they can do specific things we can't do. We're not competing with them, we're partnering. That these two always work together, by the way, guys. They're not in competition. So you never have to be threatened by that. In fact, a great church is always launching these and always partnering with them. And then the third part, man, if we could only populate the neighborhoods and the schools. Oh, wait, where do you guys live? I bet if we put the map up today, we cover the whole area. And then if you had people that had businesses and jobs. Man, all those great companies I listed earlier, I wish we had somebody that worked there. Now, some of you earlier when I listed them, you were all like, I work there. Now you're like, oh, I work there. <laughs> and and I, I know, because you, you immediately go, Tim, if I go to work tomorrow and I utter anything about religion, man, I'm written up by HR. I can get fired. And I hear that and I go, man, it sounds like that's a place that needs salt and light then. Does Jesus want you to go tomorrow and take a stand and lose your job? Absolutely not. That's not very strategic, by the way. And you stop being salt and light in the place where you're needed. So you're going to have to be more strategic. You're going to have to actually befriend your coworkers. You're going to actually be the best employee. Here's what I encourage you. You want to be salt and light at your job? Be indispensable. Be, be the kind of employee or boss that they couldn't fathom not having you there. And then it, as you befriend them and they find out you're a Christian, it should so disrupt their way of thinking. They're like, you're a Christian? Well, Christians aren't like that. Well, yeah, they are. And then the final part, we want to build on the growth to create a movement, not just a church, a movement. And I know as I say that, you go, Tim, this is all fine, but man, you just got to realize we're busy and life is hard 
And, and it's hard enough to even just come to church. I mean, it's hard enough just getting here. And I go, okay, let's just settle for that. Here, let's pour some salt on each other. Get your flashlight out, shine it in each other's eyes. I mean, could you imagine if you're talking to some of the missionaries who are coming and, and you ask them, hey, how's it going in your region? How's your work going? Man, are, are you helping people take their next step? Are people coming to Christ? And they looked at you and they said, oh, we are really for that. We ought to be doing that. God, yeah. It's just, we're really busy right now. I mean, kids and school and life, and it's just really busy. We're going to get to that. Wouldn't you be tempted to kind of look at him and go, why are you there? I mean, aren't you there to be about that? Guys, the reality is true for us. Why are we here? Now, hear me, because this is where I think we get it wrong. You, you can start feeling so guilty as this, this is the thing I'm supposed to add on to my life. That's not what Jesus was teaching. He said, this is actually your life. So go and you do your work and you get involved in sports and you're involved in your community. And as you're doing that, you do it in a way that you're befriending people and you're looking for tangible ways to love them. And you're looking for living life, not for yourself, but for others. And so you come along and you go, how do I help my coworker in their job? How do I am the best employee? How am I a good neighbor? How am I the kind of friend that listens? How do I live my life outward? How do I see a need and I actually step into it and we actually go do something about it? It's, it's what life is meant to be. But if we're not intentional, it stays an ideal. It stays this thing we're for, and we ought to. So as we finish out, I, I got an intentional game plan for you. If you look in your notes, you got to make it personal and put it in action. Make it personal. And so you look there, to make it personal, you, you see some boxes in your notes there. There's a place for you to put your name. This is the easiest part. You write your name right there. And then you think about your world. Maybe for some of you, maybe it's your neighbors. If you're in an apartment, the neighbor's right next to you or across the hall, or if you're on a street. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's a sports team that your kid's on. And the other parents that you sit in the stands for hours with at a time. Maybe it's a coffee shop you go to, the same people. Maybe it's a place where you work out. And the people that are at the club the exact same time as you. Where with some intentionality you go, okay, who's in my world? And, and here's what I want you to do with it. If you look at the, the three things that follow on that. Pray for each person by name every day. You put the names in the box. Now for some of you, you're sitting there going, I don't know the names of my neighbors. I don't actually know the people that I'm around every day. So that's going to be a big first step. You actually meet them. And then remember, this is a supernatural movement. This isn't something we can manufacture. So you start praying for them by name every day. If you don't know their name, start praying that you'll get their name. You'd be amazed. And, and here's where I, you don't want to diminish the supernatural of what God can do. Because you can put a bunch of names in the boxes and you're like, I'm going to go do something and you'll force it. But if you'll just stop here and go, I'm going to pray for these people every day. You'll be amazed how God starts opening opportunities for you to take the next step, to connect with them and get to know them. To have a conversation. 
where, where they pull you aside and they go, hey, can I talk to you about what's going on in my life? This is where you trust God. God's actually, he wants to see this happen and he wants to actually empower it. So you look to him and, and then you connect with him. And then here's the third thing. You look for a tangible way to help them take their next step with Jesus. So you're looking at, okay, where are they? Man, they are so uninterested. And so all I'm trying to do, okay, their next step is, how could they be interested in Christ? And maybe you're just praying for them. And you keep praying, God, would you bring a conversation? Would you just in a non-awkward way or a way that I could just show them what he's done in my life? Or maybe they're interested and you go, man, God, could, could you give me the courage to invite them? Maybe you start praying now. I mean, I want to bring them at Christmas so they can hear the good news. I, I, I want to I invite them in a way. I invite them to go serve with me. I'm going to go do this project across town. They'd love to do that. And I invite them. It's just an intentional plan that we go, how do we put this in action? Guys, when I, I look at the numbers of what's happening spiritually in the Bay Area, you know, we used to not be number one on the most unchurched. It used to be New York. But something's happened in New York in the last 25 years. In 1989, especially in city center of New York, it was 1% churched. It had gotten down that low. But there were some key churches that stepped forward. Tim Keller at Redeemer. Other churches who said, no, we're not giving up on our city. And so they started praying. They started a movement. And over the last 25 years in the city center of New York, it's gone from 1% in 2016, it was 5%. In 2019, they're up to about 8 or 9%. And they've targeted in 2026, that's when they're going to hit 15%. And as they targeted, when you hit 15%, that's the tipping point when the church really influences the culture. And so they said, as a church, as a people, we don't give up on our area. You guys, I'm not talking about the middle of the country. I'm talking about New York City. If it can happen there... Couldn't it happen here? Why do we have to ride the tide down? I think God said, no, I've placed you here at this time in this season. And here's what I feel. If it happens in the Bay Area, what do we know? It impacts the world. What would happen if Jesus broke out here? I think the world would be shaped by it. Starts in our neighborhood and it goes to the world. Let's pray. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.